0: Hi, friends. I have just changed the name of the podcast to the Sacred Goals Podcast. And so I wanted to let you know that at some point in the episode, I referred to it as the Trauma-Informed Witch Podcast, which is the old name of the podcast. But now we are all about Sacred Goals. So just wanted to let you know in case that was confusing. Please enjoy this episode on women and money. It's so powerful. You're going to love it. Okay. Bye. Welcome to the Sacred Goals Podcast, where you'll learn how to hit your sacred goal by destroying patriarchy and trauma-related neural pathways in your brain. These techniques have helped my clients double their income, finally fall in love, and easily land their dream job. Let's go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Trauma-Informed Witch podcast. I'm super excited to have an amazing guest for you. Dr. Kathleen Young is on the podcast with us today, and we are going to talk about women making money and some of the blocks that maybe come up around that. And um, Kathleen's going to tell her her story about. You know, her journey to become a doctor and to become a psychiatrist and to become a coach. And I think you're going to get so much value out of this. So, Kathleen, why don't you start by introducing yourself? Okay. Sorry. I was just taking a sip of water. I, um, I'm like, I
1: have this little cough. It's not COVID. It is very (laughs) much an early allergy season happening. There's lots of pollen in the air here. So, and it rained a lot yesterday. So I've got a little bit of a cough that's reared its head right in time for this. So I am Dr. Kathleen Young. I am a Child psychiatrist, adolescent psychiatrist, adult psychiatrist.
0: Sorry. We're Um, showing up imperfectly here. I know. Give me a sec. Yeah. Drink some water. Take a minute. Okay. And um, most
1: recently I added um, coach, life coach to that list of things that who I am of who I am. Um, what I do I should say and I coach parents of kids who have mental illness so it sort of was like a natural shift a natural complement to what I already do Um, and that's who I am so what do you want to know I guess you said did you
0: say my journey I know we talked about that before we came on but um, yeah so why don't Yeah, we can start with that. So how did you decide to become a doctor and subsequently a psychiatrist? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. I always wanted to be a psychiatrist. I don't know that I always wanted to be a doctor specifically. So Hmm. I, I think that I have always been a person who is very curious about why, um, why people do what they do, why things are happening um, and not just like why things are happening in the world, but more why, what motivates people to do what they do. And I think that was something that I always wondered from very young, probably just based on, you know, how I grew up um, and lots of things that felt very much out of my control. And so I think Mm. I always wanted to know why. And so, um, so I went to college and with this idea that kind of formed into, I, I want to be a psychiatrist. I want to go to medical school to be a psychiatrist. And I don't know why I never really considered being a psychologist. Um, I think medical school felt like a logical thing for me I was like a heavy math and science Mm. person and so it just made sense that I would do it in that way um and you know my brain just sort of works that way like I'm a very you know so I think this idea of also wanting to know why is really also an offshoot of just how my brain works I um think in numbers and formulas and I mean so those kinds of things so math and science always came very naturally to me um and so I went to college and I was an engineering
0: student. Um,
1: oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I didn't intend to be. I kind of like backed into that too. I feel like there's just, it's sort of like, that's not always my plan. And then it's like, okay, this is your plan. So I got there and I really was like overwhelmed by the liberal arts curriculum and what I was going to take. And I was like, I don't really want to do this. And then um there were a lot of engineering students in my classes because they're like the core classes um a lot of the pre-med classes and the engineering core classes are similar so i um so it was sort of a natural thing that i transitioned into the engineering school where i went to college and um and i did like a a dual major in biomedical engineering because like I think at that point, like 60% of the people who majored in biomedical engineering ended up going off to medical school. So it seemed like sort of a natural thing. And then I added on uh, electrical engineering. I don't remember why, but I just did. And so um, it was a pretty common, like double major at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, I really liked a lot of the um, electrical engineering classes. So it was like a good, it was a really um, natural fit for me. And, um, I had, I was paired up with a mentor who was also a psychiatrist. Um, when I was in sort of pre-med, you get, we got, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to, you got paired up with a mentor and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And so I, there I was, I took a year off in between college and med school. And I like worked as a you know, everybody works as a consultant, I feel like after college. It was like I was a consultant. And then I went to med school. And um while I was at med school, you know, those first two years were like really well, a year and a half. Um just a lot of like dense, heavy duty learning. And then you start to rotate through like all the specialties. And, um, and that's really when people start to decide what they want to do. I need to, I somehow need to silence this. Um, anyway, um, so that my Slack thing isn't going on. Um, anyway, hopefully I can do that. Um, anyway, so I, so I started to rotate through like all the specialties and I liked everything. I mean, I think I just liked being with people and I liked um, taking care of people and I liked learning Um, learning by doing more so than like the classroom stuff. I really liked rotating through all the specialties. And so I liked everything and I could have been a pediatrician or an Mm. adolescent medicine or really liked like so many things. I loved surgery. There were just lots of things that I liked, but I always, kept coming back to psychiatry. I really loved it. And, you know, a lot of people have their, their feelings about psychiatry when they rotate through it, they don't understand it, blah, 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 but I just loved it. So, mm-hmm. so that was yeah. kind of like, even though I liked everything, I always kind of came back to psychiatry and then, you know, it just took a whole bunch of like electives and other experiences in it. And that was kind of the rest was history after that. And so that's how I got to be a psychiatrist, you know, that, and then like a million years of training after that. So. (laughs) Right. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And, um, so even when you were an engineer, you already had your sights set on med school and psychiatry.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh uh-huh. And then what was it like when you started to practice? Did you love it right away? Did you specialize in children and adolescents right away? Like what was that part of your yeah, journey? Yeah, I mean like?
1: I think I think that um you know as with anything like I I so I did a residency and then um I decided to do child and so then I had to do a fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, and I mean, just much like anything else, like, you know, I had my reasons for it. And then I, then I did it and I liked it, but I, so I decided I would do child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, it was twofold one, because I really love working with adolescents a lot. Most people don't like <laughs> <laughs> they don't like parenting their adolescents. they don't mm. like adolescents, or at least it's yeah. not I shouldn't say that it's their least it's it's a challenge it can be a challenging time um mm. mm-hmm. and it was a challenging time for me so I felt very much like I could relate to adolescence and mm. I really enjoyed working with them but if I'm really honest and I think this is sort of like um you know um I don't know what a word I'm looking for, but I think it's it it's sort of in line with what we're doing here today is I also knew that um, there was a shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists, and it felt like very much a way to make sure that I would always be marketable and I would always have a job. I mean, I think at that time in the in the US I don't remember the numbers it was probably like there were like 7000 child psychiatrists it was some low number but they're really like there is a shortage of of child and adolescent psychiatrists in the US and probably like worldwide but I would I really know more about the United States and um and so there was that job security piece to it I was like well I'll always have a job It'll be easier to find a job. And those were the things that were on my mind. You know, I didn't come from, you know, I came from a working class family. I don't have like an inheritance, like my parents were not helping me out. Oh, my mom Mm. would help me out a little bit financially, but it wasn't really like I could just, you know, she wasn't fully supporting me financially. I had, um, I I was very fortunate. I got a lot of um, financial aid for for med school. So I did graduate with some debt, but not like, not, I mean, what probably would seem like a lot to many people, but where compared to what the average is now, I think I had about a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars of, of debt, um, after med school, which is like, is on the much lower end than it is now. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I, I, I knew I had to have a job that was gonna pay for me to live. So, yeah and pay off my debt and like have a nice lifestyle. I put my life on hold, you know, until I was in my thirties and I, I wanted to be able to have a good lifestyle. So, I mean, that was the other part of it. I mean, that's why, you know, that's the other piece of it. Yes. We go into medicine because we want to help people. And I very much love working with people, but the job security and, you know, um, and income was a factor when I considered what I wanted to do. So (laughs) that's kind of how I got here. And then I did, I ended up doing it. I mean, it's sort of in line with us. I did another fellowship, which was like a year long after in forensic psychiatry. And okay. um, I don't do much of it anymore, but you know, it was, it, it was like twofold again. You know, I, I find forensics is super interesting because it's another way of, of like understanding why people
0: Human behavior do yeah. what
1: they do. And then yeah, um, And also, you know, it was like, it's an area in psychiatry where when you become like an expert and all of that, it's another financial, another means for financial stability for me and job security. So those were things that were heavily on my mind. Like, you know, I need to have job security, financial security. That's very important to me as I was sort of choosing my career. And in a career that I've always wanted to do, I didn't go into psychiatry because I wanted to be a millionaire. That's not, the thing, but I, um, so it's a job I really, really love, but I also wanted to make sure I had a job that paid mm-hmm. well yeah. and that I could kind of count on that for my career and not have to worry about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, another question that comes up to, for me, because we met, we met in the sovereign business mastermind, which is this mastermind that kind of has like a spiritual layer to it Mm -hmm. I want to just ask what are your what are your spiritual beliefs if any it just like it sounds like just your story sounds like there aren't any so far (laughs) and I'm just curious is that true or is that just not hasn't been a part of the story
1: yeah I mean I think it's not really part of the story um you know I think that the other thing that that drew me um, more specifically to psychiatry is that I've always had a very strong intuition about people and whether that's mm-hmm. spiritual or whatever, but it's something that's not mm-hmm. so heavily based on like um, research and you know research mm-hmm. based um, care as much and and that that's not to say that there isn't sort of an art to other areas of medicine. But I think in particular, because there's so much we don't know about the brain and there's so much unknown, you know, psychiatry in particular is an art. I mean, there is, I don't see myself as an artist or creative at all, but when I really think about it, like that's kind of it. And I think that I do, it is a specialty that allows me to, to, to kind of heavily rely on my intuition as well. Like sometimes I just sit with a person and they have a feeling about what I think will help them. And, and I'm honest with people, I, like any, if, if anybody I've ever worked with was listening to this, they would know. I say that sometimes, sometimes I will say like, I don't have any other reason other than like, this is just a feeling I'm having with you right now that I think mm. this is what we should do. I mean, I usually have like some reasons for it. It isn't just like, <laughs> you know, pure right. magic, but it right. is like a, there is an intuition. And I think that I always have made you know so that's maybe why decisions sometimes feel like they kind of come out of nowhere mm. i back into things because i think i'm more drawn to things where i make decisions for my life based on on something that seems like it's just right like you know when mm. i was choosing a med school i got into like several like highly regarded medical schools. And I went to the one that, you know, I ended up going to And I went there to visit and I was on campus and I was like, this is just the place I need to be like, this is the one. Mm. And that's where I went. And so very much I have that. So if we think about mm. from a, um, so I do feel like that. I mean, it's it's a, it's a less well-formed idea of spirituality, but I do think about that. I always think that I have some kind of intuition or knowing sometimes that,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, when I tap into it, it really kind of serves me well in my life. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so before we hit record, I was saying one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast or what I thought we could focus on in part was women who are wealthy, who are (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good people, because, you know, at least in the Disney universe when I was a kid, the only woman who had wealth or power was Cruella de And I think there is this narrative of either you're a good girl and a good woman and you're kind of poor <laughs> or mm-hmm. modest. Or if you have wealth, then, well, you know, there's a huge narrative that wealthy people in general are Mm -hmm. evil. And then I think women have a particular, um, there's a particular imprint Mm -hmm. around ambitious women or wealthy women that, you know, that you are Cruella or, you know, in The Devil Wears Prada, there was that Meryl Streep Mm -hmm. (laughs) character. Um, And I even notice like in myself sometimes, I recently noticed Stacey Bayman, who's another life coach who's quite wealthy. She did an episode about buying a a second Audi. Mm -hmm. And I my automatic thought was like, who does she think she is? Isn't it bad for the environment? Shouldn't she be a better steward of her money? Like all of these thoughts. And then I realized like, there are some men who are wealthy that have a lot of cars who I do not have any of those thoughts about. I'm just like, Oh, he loves cars and he worked hard for his money. So of course he has a bunch of like, not Stacy has two. These guys have like mm-hmm. 10 or whatever, but somehow with her, there is more of a stigma for me that I'm coming into awareness.
1: About. Yeah. And I think that that is, um <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I have such a long <laughs> history of, of, Like my, or I have such a, like, um, I don't know what the checkered or whatever the word is history with money. You know, I, I have this sort of love, hate relationship with it, but I do think that, um, you know, like I said, I'm very clear, like I have chosen certain, I've made certain career choices because I wanted to know that I would always have money. And I know that like, you can never know for sure, but I was very, you know, there, there was. Their well, statistics yeah, it's heavily influenced by this um, you know by the possibility of choosing something that um, would be more secure would, would that there would always be a need for um, that I would be able to find a job if I really needed one always and so I think that was super important to me and I remember as a medical student though like um having a super uncomfortable <laughs> uh, interaction. Like we were, um, when I was on a rotation, it was at a different hospital that was like away from, um, it was like one of the remote locations. So when you're, when you're doing rotations as a med student, like sometimes you can choose to be at like an affiliated hospital. So it may be off, like in a, like you might be, um, not on the main campus of where you're in med school. You're not, with one of those hospitals. And so I was, um, my med school was in like Pennsylvania, I mean, in Philadelphia and I was in like Reading. So maybe like an hour or two away from where um, I was at school. And so I was staying, I'd stay there during the weekend, then went home anyway. So it was me and these like three other people, we were the med students on rotation at that point. And like every week we'd meet with um, the chief, who the chief of, um, I don't even remember what specialty it was. I think, it, I don't want to say, oh, just the chief of the department <laughs> where we were rotating. Sure, yeah. And who's probably never going to hear this. But anyway, the, um, and he, we were talking about like our career goals or whatever. And I remember I said something like, and this is true fashion for me, but I said something about how I just wanted to be able to make a lot of money. Um and do something I like. And I'll tell you the room like went silent and I, he like from then on, like I could tell he was so icy to me after that. And I think it was kind of like, how dare she like say something like that? Like, you know, and I think that for me, the message could have been one of so many, like, you know, as a woman, as a black woman, as whatever, a student, like as a doctor, you know, to actually want to make money seemed to be like at that moment, the message came through loud and clear that that's taboo to be thinking about that and wanting that. And like, you know, how dare you? So, I mean, from then on, I really kind of kept a lot of that under wraps. And I think that, you know, I do think that there is this idea that like if we're healers that we shouldn't want to like make money too right right
0: yeah Yeah, i think that's a huge narrative so what advice do you have because i was not like that as a teenager 20 year old i you know my first job which i loved was in nonprofit, and it was not i Mm -hmm. mean obviously i didn't have to go to as many years of training as you did Um, but I, I, I think it took me longer to get into a place where I was okay with want, like with okay with wanting to build wealth. And, you know, even maybe a year ago or two years ago, I heard someone on a podcast say like, you know, you being poor, you being a good person and being poor, doesn't help society. It doesn't Mm -hmm. like make the money that you don't make doesn't automatically go to like the most marginalized groups. It, it goes to the, you know, to the rich people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just because there are some rich people who are corrupt, which is true, right? Like, Mm -hmm. We know that that is true and that there are some corporations that are not doing great things for the environment and for their employees and all the things. But how does me, me staying broke doesn't fix capitalism. Me not making a lot of money doesn't make the world a better place. And so that was like, that was like a mind, you know, bursting a bubble in my brain but so if there's someone who didn't have this natural inclination which you had which was like i want to do what i like and what i'm interested in and also i want to make money what advice would you have for those people for people who are like who are not like me (laughs) people who are not like you
1: um I think it's really just like that. It's okay. You know, it's
0: okay to right. make
1: money and to want to have money, you know, yeah. and I still struggle with this now, you know, like asking to be paid um, for my services and, you know, but, um, and rec, you know, recognizing that like men in my field or who are like, even among my, you know, in the, my area, you know, where, and I say in my area, because, you know, the cost of medical care is different, you know, depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. like, they have no problem, like raising their fee or asking for a certain Mm -hmm. amount of money. And like, I always, anytime I raise my fees, I always have this anxiety about it as though I'm doing something wrong, as though I'm Mm -hmm. not entitled to be paid for what I'm doing on, on the level of what other people do. And I think that So my advice would be, you know, like you might have discomfort, you know, shifting into a place where you do go and make money, but like, that doesn't mean it's wrong. And I think that really the advice is to constantly be questioning, you know, you know, why you're doing something and whether it's true, like, it's like you said, I mean, like this idea that like you could like, just because you don't make money doesn't mean that it's like, it's allowing for the that money that you would have made to go to somebody else who's in need. In fact, it just doesn't work that way. And so my advice would be really to like, like do what you love and also believe that it's okay to
0: get paid for it. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. I raised my rates recently and it was a struggle. Mm -hmm. It was a whole journey. It probably took me eight months to really make the decision and, Mm -hmm. and stick to it. And one of the things that I realized was if I closed my practice and said, you know what, I just need to get a job that pays me more money Mm -hmm. that I think my clients or people around like I think people would have been sympathetic to that and said Mm -hmm. we support you we understand but somehow me raising my rates felt like oh well you can't do it that way it's okay if you go get a corporate job (laughs) but (laughs) but in my brain for whatever reason if you want to make more money doing what you do that
1: Well, and I think that really, it's what you're saying. Like, if you go get a corporate job, then somebody else decides that it's okay for you to make more money, right? It's not you deciding. And I think that really just understanding that you don't need other people's approval. You know, you can, there are good people who make money. And I think that that's really what I've had to do is just continue to question, you know, why I don't believe that, I, that people, I should make as much money as somebody else for for doing the same work. Right. Um, Yeah. And I think it particularly for women, it's so important um, to secure your financial future. It really is, in my opinion. I mean, I know that's just my thought about it, but somebody brought up to me, I don't know who it was, how like, you know like women, older women. Oh, because I was watching some kind of documentary on Netflix about homelessness, but I don't even know how I went down this rabbit hole, but it, (laughs) and, and the thing, it was good. And then it just ended. And I was like, wait, I want to know the rest of the story. But, but anyway, I was talking about it to a friend and she said like, you know, it's, and it's, and it's more likely to be women who are like homeless, older women who are homeless and have no money. And I think that's just because we have been, taught to believe that, that it's wrong for us to want money, to think about money, to understand money, you know, to talk about it. Yeah. Talk about it with people and that like, how dare you? Yeah.
0: Um, ask your friends how much they're making. Yeah. Any of that. It's just like, not. It's not something you culture. talk about and do.
1: And yeah. so then, you know, people end up later in life having not known anything about it and, and in a situation that is not where they wanna be. So yeah, yeah, that's my advice is like, you know, talk about it. There you go.
0: Talk about it, think about it, plan for it.
1: Like, and it's okay.
0: Yeah, ask questions if you don't, if you haven't been talking about it and you don't know a lot about it, it's okay. It's safe to ask questions. That mm-hmm. might even seem like, quote unquote, dumb, you know, maybe you have a friend who you know is good with money that you can chat with and pick their brain, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that advice. Yeah. And I do
1: think it's like also paying attention to um, you know, your thoughts about other women and their money, because yes. that's going to uncover beliefs that you don't even realize you have um, about yourself and your, uh, ability or, or giving yourself permission to make money. And I, so I think, you know, like when you're talking about Stacy and her cars, you know, just like noticing, like you're wanting to judge this person. Um, I think about that a lot too. It's like, I think, you know, when I, when people talk about money a lot and I get really uncomfortable and, um, judgy about it, I'm like, oh, that's because, I have these beliefs that you're not supposed to talk about money. Yeah. You know, or you're not supposed to like, or that people who have money are just um, bad people, but that's how they're portrayed. in in the media, we're taught to believe that about people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I would say there are people who make good decisions and bad decisions. I mean, we all, you know, bad people, what does that even mean? But mm-hmm. beyond that, it's like, wealth doesn't determine that right like Mm -hmm. you can be you can be unkind and not have a lot of money and unkind and have a lot of money and kind and have a lot of money and kind and not have a lot of money it's not like those things are correlated yeah and I've heard that like money just shows more of who you are you can just kind of Mm -hmm. you know like it doesn't change you. It just, you become more visible often Mm -hmm. and your traits, whatever they are, kind or unkind.
1: Yeah. And I think also like, you know, I, I can find myself judging people for how they spend money. And I think sometimes it's because I have those desires too, but I, but I was taught to believe I shouldn't have them. Right. And so I think then I go and judge other people like that, like, how dare they want to like buy, you know, whatever it is they want to buy a $20,000 purse or like something like that. Like, oh my gosh, like that's terrible. But I think that, you know, one of the things that I was taught about money is that, and, and this isn't necessarily specific to women, but I think it is in some ways that, you know, I, shouldn't waste money or that like right that i should save money
0: right you're yeah. not gonna be able to earn more like there's this unconscious thing women are taught even in women's magazines it's like first of all women's magazines rarely talk about money and then when they do it's ki- clipping coupons and borrowing money from mm-hmm. parents it's never negotiating a raise or you know that kind of thing it's never about making money whenever we're talked to about it. It's like, how do you save the little amount of money you're going to have? Because that's a lot in life. And I think also sometimes women
1: um, are portrayed as, you know, like not being sensible about money. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They just want to spend it on clothes and shoes and like all these things that they don't need. And so I think that that's like, so when I see that, I'm like, why are they spending money on all these things that they don't need? Or that like, you know, if, if they're not the ones earning the money, that they're a gold digger or that they right. just don't care about people. They just want to like have, um, you know, they just want to have all these things. And so they're materialistic or whatever. So I think there's all of these judgments that we have and we're taught to have about people and spending money.
0: Yeah, there is actually a study done on, I can't remember, it's like compulsive buying disorder or something, Mm -hmm. like basically shopaholicism and comparing women and men. And it's basically the same, right? There's no difference in what they buy. Sometimes with guys, it's more likely to be like a car related Mm -hmm. (laughs) shopaholism, but the amount of money spent and the likelihood that you would do this compulsive b- buying behavior is the same among among the sexes. But the way it's portrayed in the media. When have you ever seen. An out of control shopping man. Right. Portrayed.
1: Right. Right. On almost television.
0: Mm-hmm. And especially like it's almost like I can feel the you know, all of the fucked upness in my brain of like, well, if it was a man, it would be like a gay guy. You know, like <laughs> right, right. Like if it was like I could imagine a male on a show being a shopaholic if you know, which is just my mm-hmm. stereotypes about people's <laughs> sexuality. Um and and that was not that was not like What the study concluded, it was like, no, men and women are basically the same. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there is so much that we're kind of fighting against Mm -hmm. to feel good about ourselves and feel good about earning money and spending money Mm -hmm. as women. Because it's like we're supposed to be bad at earning it and then good at spending it in frivolous (laughs) ways. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think that, um, you know, I very much felt those messages. Um, And I also, you know, I also, you know, the other thing I think why I was always wanted to make sure that I had job security is also though, because as a woman, I think I very much felt that like I was not going to be a woman who like, didn't have money or was relying on somebody else to provide for me.
0: Right. So it's like the way that you used it to your advantage mm-hmm. was that it motivated you, mm-hmm. knowing that, yeah, you wanted to be an independent woman that could, you know get a divorce if you needed to or mm-hmm. if you wanted to and be okay mm-hmm. and still, still be, be okay. able to support yourself. Yeah. 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 Okay. I have one more question for you. Why okay. do people do what they do? <laughs> I think that's such an interesting motivation. And I'm like, what did you learn? You've been doing this uh, work for a while now. So you, I mean, look what motivates
1: people. I think um, I, I, some people would argue it always comes back to like, um, um what was it? Money and I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. like power and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know even like money and sex feel, feed into wanting power, like that most mm-hmm. people want to feel that way. I mean, I think like in a very, I mean, look what motivates people. Those are like are like at our core what motivates us, but. I think it's just, it's so different for different people, but I think like we all just really want to belong and, um, and feel accepted. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I just really like, everybody's got a different story. And so it kind of starts there. I think it like, I, I always joke that it always comes back to your parents, but it really kind of does, right? Like we are, our, our relationships with our parents are our first relationships. And that Mm -hmm. forms the basis of how we learn how to be in relationship with people and with ourselves. And so there's so much of it that like really comes out of how that time period went, your childhood really does form this foundation for like what motivates you in certain situations under the like umbrella of our basic motivations, which are to eat, right, <laughs> to, to live mm-hmm. and, um, and to procreate. But I really even think like the urge to procreate is probably like lower down than it may have been like a hundred years ago or 200 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. There's more drives around, I think, you know, survival and um, power, which I think motivates yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I, I, think, I think Oprah said that, like, she's interviewed, like, everyone, right? She's interviewed, like, people in prison, and she's interviewed, like, Michelle and Barack Obama, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. royalty, and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. she's interviewed everybody, and she said one of the things that everybody says at the end of the interview is, like, was that Okay. Mm-hmm. And I okay? Mm-hmm. So I think when you're saying like acceptance and belonging and connection, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's I mean, a huge piece of it.
1: It is. I mean, I think, and, and it starts with really wanting the approval of your parents, like kids really, and no, parents sometimes raise an eyebrow to this when I say it, but I'm like, your kids really don't want to disappoint you. And sometimes right. it doesn't feel that way, but right. underneath whatever is going on, that's really at the core of it. Sometimes they feel like they can't get your attention if they aren't misbehaving. But I think really they want your approval. Like that is that is like at all of our built in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's yeah. it.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it from that way, how do you want to respond? Yeah. Yeah, yelling or whatever behavior is happening. Yeah, so go make money. (laughs) Pardon? Like go out and make money. (laughs) Yes, it's good. It's good. The world is a better place when women have more money. There is is studies on that too. Mm -hmm. Women put money back into their communities. They donate at higher rates. They donate more often. So yeah. yeah, nothing bad is gonna happen if you have more money and actually probably something good.
1: Yeah, and I remember saying this to someone, I don't remember the context at all. Like when you reach a certain age, the memory just goes. And I, um, I feel like, um, but I remember at one point in my life, very much. And I don't know if I said this out loud to someone or it was just a thought I had in my head, but I was kind of like, why shouldn't I make money? Like there's all these other men out there. And I really was a specific thought about men versus women. I was like, there's all these other men out there who are making like tons of money and like, they're not even like, I'm a doctor. I'm trying to help people. There are all these people out there making tons of money. Like, maybe not even doing anything that's all that meaningful. And so why right. is it okay for them to have billions of dollars, but it's not okay for me to want to make more money? I think this was a reaction I had to that thing that happened in med school. Now it's all coming back yeah. to me. It's like, why is it such a problem that I want to have a job where I make money? Yeah, like, It's not It's ridiculous. Yeah, It's ridiculous. Like it's not, it's okay for all of these other people to make money. Why
0: isn't it okay for us? It is. Yeah. It yeah. is. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So I love this. So, if, so fun. Yeah. So if people, um, are parents of kids with mental health issues, or they want to connect with you, what are, what are the best ways?
1: Yeah. You can find me lots of places. You can
0: find me, I have a website
1: and that is, um, all it's probably, I, I, in retrospect should have come up with a different, <laughs> We'll put it in the notes.
0: We'll put it in but anyway. In
1: the notes. It's www.kyoungkyoungmdcoaching.com. Okay. And um, on social, I'm at drkathleenyoung.coaching. So
0: drkathleenyoung, all one word dot .coaching, and you can find me there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think. This is going to be super valuable, especially for people who are socialized as women and who want to change their mindset about money. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This was a treat. I really enjoyed
1: these conversations now that I have more awareness and feel more comfortable talking about money. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Super helpful. Okay. Bye everybody. See you next week. Bye. If you resonated with this episode, I wanna offer you a free, private, one-hour consultation with me. Through doing the deep inner work, my clients have been able to do things like quit the job they hate and land a job they love, or get their first paying clients in their dream business, and if they're a little bit further down the road, double their revenue. They've been able to fall in love and go to bed each night feeling satisfied and accomplished. In the consultation, we'll talk about what your dream looks like, what's getting in the way, and whether working together can help. Email me at Bryn at BrynBamber.com to book.